Welcome to the Global Futures Podcast with me, Joel Sandu. The future is a topic that inspires speculations, fears, and hopes. A few weeks ago, we published an episode that introduced our listeners to the method of scenario planning as an effective way to think about the future and the major challenges, threats, and opportunities the future may hold. Today, our strategic foresight expert, Johannes Gabriel, is back in the hot seat with us to elaborate a bit more on scenario planning, a topic that deserves more attention. In a world of rapid change and growing insecurity about the future, a method such as scenario planning can provide a helpful way to structure our thinking and foster much-needed debates. The 27 fellows from nine different countries participating in GGF 2030 use the scenario planning method to look ahead 10 years and think of ways to better address global challenges. In May, the GGF Fellows met for the first time in Washington, D.C., where Johannes introduced them to the basics of scenario planning. Back in Berlin now, he shares his insights and gives us a closer look into what scenario planning is about. And just to remind our listeners, Johannes is a non-resident fellow with the Global Public Policy Institute, and he's been leading the scenario planning method of the GGF program since 2010. He's the founder and director of Foresight Intelligence, a systemic consultancy based in Berlin. Johannes also teaches scenario planning at Johns Hopkins University's School of Advanced International Studies. Johannes, welcome back to the Global Futures Podcast. It's great to have you with us again. Hi, Joel. Glad to be here again. So the last time we met, we talked about foresight and what foresight uh, is about. And you mentioned that scenarios and scenario plannings are tools for foresight. Can you remind our listeners what are scenarios and what are they useful for? Uh, sure, let me try to quickly summarize it because it's actually not entirely 100% clear what scenarios actually are. There's a bunch of, a bunch of literature you can uh, read different uh, definitions. I give you the ones I think are um, pretty, pretty helpful actually to, to get your mind uh, adjusted towards creating scenarios. So first and foremost, scenarios are thought experiments about alternative possible futures. Um, I think uh, this thought experiments part is really, really important. It's thinking about the future. It's creating comprehensive descriptions of possible future states. So it's about snapshots of a future situation. And it's also about uh, describing uh, a trajectory leading up to that specific situations. And it's about um, just finding one trajectory uh, a chain of events leading up to the situation uh, that is so plausible that people think like, yeah, actually, I buy into that. This situation could really happen in the future because when it comes from A to B leading to C and then there's this other series of events, sounds plausible. What is the use of scenarios? Um, I mean, first and foremost, uh, to, to think about alternative developments. It sounds so easy, but it, uh, I think it actually isn't. Um, to get a better long-term orientation, so what might be out there uh, in the long run. It's really also a very good tool to anticipate surprises, to be a bit faster than the actual developments. Uh, and in addition to that, uh, I would say it's actually uh, or one of the biggest use of scenarios has actually nothing to do with the future itself, but it's more about getting a better understanding of how 
like the world works and how complex interdependencies can play out and what kind of dynamics uh, dynamics are actually possible. And I think that's actually even more important. It's uh, also about understanding each other. So we talked about it in the last uh, podcast. Creating scenarios is a group process and it forces you to actually find a common language to talk about complex and complicated things as the future. Great. I mean, it sounds like it's a very useful tool if you, you know, mentioned uh, anticipating surprises and being faster than the developments that are happening before our very own eyes and just being ready and thinking in alternatives. That's all good and dandy. But I, th I wonder, are there any disadvantages when it comes to using scenarios? No, no, not at all. No. No, of course, I'm kidding. There are, <laughs> there are uh, disadvantages, uh, disadvantages for sure. Um, I mean, I, I said scenarios are thought experiments and um, they are usually an outcome of a longer process. So imagine a lot of people in a room uh, and they are making up their minds about very complex issues. So uh, the obvious disadvantages uh, that you have like maybe severe problems to let other people be part of that thought experiment they haven't been part of actually. So communicating scenarios and developing the scenarios so far that you can convince other people and let people be part of that thought experiment. Uh, I think that's actually uh, that's quite complicated or that is an, uh, that's a challenge uh, to really integrate outsiders into, into this process, into the thinking process. Um, you can actually you can uh, flip this upside down and uh, use this disadvantage uh, to make it uh, to make to make it an opportunity actually because uh, when you do it as a group you create scenarios there's always the risk of like falling into groupthink and thinking about like your own little world uh, your own little thought experiment but having outsiders there to convince that may imply also that you can get feedback from them and they help you to get an even better understanding to even further develop the scenarios. So being able to communicate scenarios is quite a challenge and maybe a disadvantage, um, I would say, but you can also like make this an opportunity to broaden your, your thought experiment. You mentioned communicating scenarios. I want to ask, in your experience, can scenarios make a difference in decision-making? Have you ever seen how they've come to play in decision-making processes? Yeah, that's a tricky question because uh, it really depends on uh, like decision on what. Usually scenarios are used, let me start like this, uh, in an organizational context. So in an, within an organization, scenarios can be used as a tool to foresight, Uh, can be used as a strategic foresight tool. Bottom line scenarios help the organization to develop and to learn uh, to cope with a changing environment. Uh, there are a lot of decisions to, uh, that can be made in an organization regarding strategy, for example. Um, it can be something about uh, like team building. It can be something about identity. It can be about products. It can be about the internal setup and processes. So many different decisions. So it's actually really hard for me to judge whether scenarios can make a difference here. Uh, there are a couple of, uh, I would say, very uh, popular examples of what scenario planning can do and achieve. Uh, one of the best examples is um, from the first oil crisis in 1973. Uh, Shell did scenarios right before that oil crisis, and uh, they like made their way from, uh, I, I think, like one of the top 10 oil companies in the world to the absolute top. And this goes back to their scenario planning activities. Um, this is a well-researched uh, case, um, uh, best case for how to implement scenario planning into an uh, like organizational strategy setting um, that can 
be read on the internet. There are other scenarios uh, that made a huge impact. Um, for example, there's a very famous scenario process uh, in South Africa, or there was a scenario process in South Africa about the political like direction South Africa could take uh, right after the apartheid regime. Um, that is also well researched. I personally know a couple of good examples from the policy planning front, but actually the more I think and talk about that question, um, I think the most important change that scenarios can make is uh, they change like people's minds. So everyone who is part in a scenario process um, ideally, after the process, uh, things like slightly different about how the world works and how the future could play out. And they have a different different mindset, refined mental models, if you want to say so. And in my personal opinion, uh, this has a very, very high influence on how decisions are made. Maybe not on the decision itself, that could have an impact as well. Uh, but you, you make maybe better informed and reflected decisions and you reflect your, uh, you know, your own capability to influence long term futures also what could go wrong you have unintended consequences on your mind maybe a bit more i think that is uh, the immediate like change uh, scenarios or the scenario processes can make then translating into decisions so if this is a tool that is meant to help develop and learn uh, and help organizations to cope with developments in their environment sounds like it's could be quite a complex process. Can you give us an idea or a snapshot of what this process would look like? What are steps one, two, and three uh, mm -hmm. in, in constructing scenarios? Yeah. Maybe the basic setup is um, pretty simple for like every scenario process. It is um, back and forth. You have to zoom in and zoom out. You have to diverge and converge um, in a like a couple of times in a row in a sequence. I give you a setup for like doing, let's say, explorative scenario construction, meaning trying to anticipate alternative futures, not talking about probable futures, not talking so much about like visions, like preferable futures, but really to explore what might happen in the future. So first what you do is you need to figure out what is it that you want to like do scenarios on? What are the scenarios about? You need a title, a topic. Uh, and of course, you also need a time frame because it makes a huge difference if you do scenarios for the next three years or for the next 30 years. First step you do after that is uh, you engage the group. We already mentioned, right, that scenario construction is always a group process. You engage the group in an activity called uh, horizon scanning or environment scanning. And the purpose is you want to really get an idea, a comprehensive understanding of what is what might be out there that is influencing uh, like my topic that I have in mind for the scenarios over the long term. The ideal uh, or the idea is to get uh, like a long, long list of so-called influential factors, uh, factors that somehow influence my topic or are part of the topic in question here uh, of approximately like 50 factors. We, we cannot handle 50 factors. That's way too complex. So the next step is always to reduce this number to a manageable amount of complexity, let's say like five or six. Uh, you can also just go to two and you take these factors that are highly impacted factors usually but highly unpredictable on the other hand and you take these factors these are your key factors and you think about the alternative futures of only these key factors first can instead you, of can taking you, on the big topic you you know you you, you put it you, you puzzle it down so to say in could you contextualize parts. this for our listeners like just give us like one factor you would say that is highly impact, impactful, uh, but highly unpredictable, and put that factor in the context of, say, whatever it is you are scenario planning about. All right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. So let's uh, let's think about uh, Germany's job market. Yeah, this was one of the recent scenario processes, and uh, one of the factors that has a high influence of how the German job market could look like, and let's say 15 years from now, is uh, what state is our digital infrastructure in? So, and then a projection or one alternative assumption for the year, whatever 2035 would be, our digital infrastructure is in very proper shape. Sixth generation mobile broadband internet everywhere, uh, glass fiber cables, and so on and so on. And another, an alternative assumption for that factor could be, now actually it's not in proper shape. Uh, it's very good in the city centers, but apart from that, it's like pretty pretty undeveloped. So that would be um, an example for a key factor with uh, like two different projections. Great, that's helpful. Yeah, and now I jumped a little bit, I think. So you scan the environment, figure out many factors, you select key factors that are highly uncertain or unpredictable and impacting, and then you develop this alternative assumptions to really deconstruct the scenario problem uh, into smaller parts. And then you take all the smaller parts Think about you having like five key factors and you have four different assumptions, so-called projections for each key factor. And the actual scenario construction only starts then. You construct raw scenarios, like a combination of different assumptions from different factors about the future. You puzzle it together in a highly consistent way. You can make sure that your scenarios are very distinct, very diverse. Um, and then you can flesh out the scenarios. This is the next step. And you provide a bit more detail and you try to figure out, all right, what are all the other conditions? What are all the background informations I need to explain why a certain like, situation in the future is a very uh, like convincing one, is a very possible one and also plausible. And last step is to then backcast uh, a history of uh, like uh, the future of the respective scenario to get an idea what chain of events might lead up to that specific situation you define. Last point here, so you always do this like uh, opening up for complexity first, trimming it down to figure out what are key factors, then thinking about the future of key factors, then construct scenarios and then flesh out scenarios. But of course there's always a pre-production and a post-production phase, so you cannot really do scenarios without thinking about what the purpose of the actual scenario activity is. And post-production, we already touched on this issue, uh, you need usually to communicate the scenarios and you really have to like make them play a role in the let's say strategic conversation that shouldn't they, they should inform or help to shape or help to advance so one thing we hear a lot when we uh, read about scenario planning or even uh, go to presentations on, on this uh, on this tool is uh, the term wildcard and that is something you hear a lot when it comes to uh, scenario planning can you explain what are wildcards and how they are used in the process mm -hmm. Uh, Wildcards are basically um, unexpected events or events uh, that have a low probability of um, happening. But in case they happen, they have a very high probability of being very, very influential or having a huge impact. So they have the potential to change a lot of things. I can't help but think of asteroids and aliens and all that stuff. Very Is good that... examples. Very good examples. Extremely low probability, maybe. But uh, if this happens, it's you really changer. need to, yeah, and you really need to adjust your mindset because then your scenarios are worth nothing anymore. Just imagine you did uh, scenarios on the German job market and all of a sudden there is an uh, asteroid coming or aliens landing, then you can first and foremost forget about the German job market. You have other issues to deal with first. Other classical wildcards are, for example, pandemics, 
Um, but not only like negative events, uh, there could be, for example, a major uh, like advancement uh, in, in medicine and science, um, uh, for example, vaccines to uh, eradicate uh, like major potential pandemics, uh, for example. So positive wild cards are also a thing. Again, it's about like low probability, but very high impact. And uh, usually wild cards are like single events, uh, not factors that have a scale. And they are used uh, in a scenario process actually as a reflection tool, I would say. It helps you to really challenge your uh, like set of uh, assumptions over and over again and to uh, also to prevent you to fall into groupthink. Um, it's kind of like an irritating input um, that really helps you to also understand, and maybe that's the best use of them, uh, to when it is time to actually review your own scenarios. Just imagine you do scenarios for the purpose of strategic planning and you do a wild card analysis. Uh, this is really to help you to identify, okay, at which point in time should I really rethink my scenarios because I have an indicator here showing me that this wild card is becoming more and more probable. So, And if there's like kind of a game changer that's coming up, then you can get surprised again. So maybe you need a new set of scenarios that is like working with this potential game changer, making it part of the actual scenario. That's interesting. I find it uh, when we when we look at the news um, and there are experts that come on. News anchors usually say, you know, this is based on the experts' best guess. Um, why don't why do we still use experts' best guess when it sounds like scenarios? Uh, maybe equally, <laughs> if not better, uh, than an expert's best guess. What's the difference between those two? <laughs> <laughs> so what is who is an expert what is an expert and what's the best guess in addition to what is a scenario and what can it do so that's a tricky question and what's the best guess worth uh, mm -hmm. i mean this is uh, this is really that's hard to tell uh, let me try to frame it as this um, scenarios are a group product so it's not something that comes from one specific mind who has by definition a specific like mindset and it has a mental model and it works with that it is it comes from a group and the group can think about like more possibilities and more alternatives and potential developments and dynamics that is uh, more than only the sum of the experts sitting in the group but because there's something happening in the group is a group dynamics they play back and forth some ideas they get a better understanding they advance their thinking as a group and they can really touch on let's say on thought ground with scenarios so maybe that's one diff uh, one major difference The best guess is usually something uh, that I would say goes very well in line with um, expert opinion or maybe even common sense. And that is when you hear it more often from some experts, maybe not that surprising at all anymore. So you cannot really get surprised by this best guess. But the purpose of scenarios is to anticipate surprise. So when you do a scenario, you actually you do not want to land on the best guess scenario and on the uh, like common expectation or common sense of what might happen in the future, because this is not really helping to advance the strategic conversation. You want to anticipate more opportunities, more threats, more surprises. You want to get more information on the table, uh, more stuff to think about. And usually best guesses are exactly what you already have. So scenarios are more about like anticipating the unthought, uh, the, the, the underrated, uh, and this is usually not what best guesses are. So you, you mentioned the term anticipate, uh, and earlier you said uh, you talked about probable futures. I want to pick you up on that. 
What about the terms probability and plausibility? These are also terms we hear a lot when it comes to scenario planning. Can you explain what each of these mean? I can elaborate for days on that, especially Keep on it probability. <laughs> <laughs> we have limited time. <laughs> All right. So um, first off, probability. I would say probability has actually nothing to do with the future. It is rather a current measure for our own expectations about the future. So it's something we measure our own expectations right now under these circumstances. It can change tomorrow. Probabilities can change from one day to the other and they are highly subjective. So it really depends on the mindset who is like figuring out whether the probability is 85% or 95%. There are uh, a lot of projects uh, working on how to refine experts' minds uh, on uh, like probability judgments, also very good and interesting ones. I don't want to elaborate uh, too much on this. Nonetheless, in the end, they are subjective and uh, they can change from one day to the other and they do not have anything to do with the future. For example, uh, think about uh, like uh, four weeks back, what was the probability or Argentina winning the World Cup? It depends who you ask. Yeah, it depends on who you ask. Uh, and also uh, it can change from one day to the other and maybe it changes even within like the last 10 seconds of a game. Or so. Brazil falling out in the first round. Sorry to all our Brazilian listeners. <laughs> uh, probability has one very big advantage, I would say, although it's subjective and uh, is prone to change um, and it cannot really integrate structural change so much. It's very nice to have because you can assign numbers to certain statements. Uh, that's very That's very handy, especially if you want to calculate expectations about the future. So for modeling exercises, probability is actually quite helpful. And also, actually, it uh, has one big other advantage I just realized as well. It forces people to like back up what does the number mean? Why is it 80? Or why is it 95? So uh, it actually forces uh, people to like put flesh on the bones and explain all their conditions. But it's usually not used like in this sense, in a discourse. You hear an expert saying 90%, that's it. All right, so much maybe to, um, uh, to probability. Now plausibility. Now plausibility. Plausibility is something that is not subjective, but I would say it's rather intersubjective. So you cannot make up plausibility yourself. You need someone else who says what you say is plausible. So you need an audience judging your statements or your thought experiments about the future. And plausibility is something between uh, being not really unthinkable. So it's, yeah, right. That might be an option. I have a hard time uh, like imagining it, but you might be right. It sounds okay, but I have a hard time imagining it nonetheless. Uh, being between this part of the spectrum and being totally obvious. So, for example, if you have a scenario and your audience is just nodding, saying like, yes, that's exactly how we have it in mind. This is how the future will play out. This scenario is actually not plausible because it's way too obvious. Uh, and when you have a scenario where people react by saying like, all right, this is totally impossible. I cannot see any way how this could become a reality. Then it's also not plausible. It must be anywhere in between. If you can irritate people, if you can irritate experts with scenarios, but basically they are buying it, then you know you hit the right balance between being absurd and obvious. And this is what I would say is um, plausibility. Then what would be an ideal scenario for for? let's say, decision makers to contemplate and think about, you know, what should be, what could be. Is there a fine balance between plausibility and 
probability that should be taken into account or how would what would you what would your saying be on this yeah that's actually a very tricky question so it would be way too easy to say that probable scenarios or that probability is actually not useful in foresight in general it actually is it's a, it can be a very useful judgment criteria and even probable scenarios can be very very useful it really depends on the purpose so um, if you want to get additional input on what do we not have on the radar yet what do we have to anticipate in addition in order to make our strategy like a future robust future proof or whatsoever then you really don't want to have probable scenarios. I would even go one step further. Whenever you explore possibilities in the future, really plausible scenarios are not necessarily probably at all. Yeah? They have maybe rather low probabilities, but that's totally okay because scenarios are not about predicting anything. However, I can totally imagine uh, the use of highly probable scenarios. For example, uh, take climate change. Um, that's a perfect example, actually, because probability here has a very different meaning because uh, we're not talking about social science and complex systems that have no natural laws to stick to to explain why something is how exact probable, but they are like a lot of uh, laws of physics at work. So you can actually assign some kind of probabilities, but climate change, uh, climate change scenarios are usually uh, or sometimes uh, neglected by people. And then they are like sold off as like, yeah, it's not entirely proven. It's hard to get like full proof, whatever. Uh, so making this very probable scenario, a very comprehensive description of an end state and a trajectory leading up through that, explaining what kind of consequences it could have and how it could play out step by step, gives a very vivid idea of how this very probable scenario can play out. And maybe that's exact, uh, exactly uh, like the intention of this scenario. Maybe that's exactly the purpose of it, to really like shake people's minds and irritate people and tell them like, look, we tried to neglect this kind of future, but it's actually very, not only probable, but also very plausible. It's getting complicated. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's rather also a philosophy of science discussion. Uh, I like to have, but maybe not only the two of us. Maybe for the but next episode. Yeah, yeah, maybe for the next couple of episodes. Philosophy yeah. of science. <laughs> Let me end with this question for you. Uh, you know, in September, our 27 oh, yeah. GGF 2030 uh, fellows will be um, convening for a second time in New Delhi. And uh, we're all excited about that. And uh, I think for some of them, it'll be the first time they'll be really engaging in the scenario planning process. So what piece of advice would you have for our fellows who will be creating their working group uh, scenarios for the first time together? All right. Maybe first, uh, when you think something is not possible, ask yourself first, under what conditions would it be possible? And not try to deconstruct like the argument or dismiss it as something that is like really impossible. Try to make it like Try to figure out on what conditions is it actually possible. Uh, second, take it seriously, but not too seriously. I think I saw, uh, I said exactly the same in the last podcast. It is an intense process and uh, it's really up to the participants to move it forward. But at the same time, it's, uh, I mean, it's really just a thought experiment. Third, I would say um, scenario planning has to do with, with boldness, actually. And I would really advise people not to shy away from talking and thinking about very unpleasant things. There's this nice term I learned from an, uh, from an article uh, not too long ago, maybe half a year ago. I have to check who wrote this article again. Um, and it was black elephants, like a mixture between the elephant in the room and the black swan, like a potential kind of wild card. And uh, these are like things that are there 
that have a very high impact on changing things in a negative way, but are actually not improbable, but rather probable. They are there and experts can see them and experts can warn about them. But nonetheless, for, for example, political reasons, people, decision makers, planners or whosoever do not want to talk about it. Black elephant in the room. And I would always um, like advise people, be bold um, and don't shy away from very unpleasant things. And maybe um, the last piece of advice, most groups I know are very capable of producing a lot of content by talking a lot, which is good. But I think the the superior like capacity in a scenario creation process is really listening and um, also when someone else is like bringing up an idea maybe assuming for like a minute that he or she is basically right instead of discarding the idea like immediately and trying to deconstruct I think this is something that is incredibly hard to train and to learn, but it can really make a difference when you are like in a group situation and especially if it's about uh, creating thought experiments about the future. So there you go. Listen, listen up uh, to Johannes and uh, listen to each other in the working group uh, sessions. And I think we will come out with superior thoughts uh, through this thinking process look you have no superior thoughts and it's always just like uh, the starting point to think about futures and then it develops and then it develops <laughs> look it's been great speaking with you johannes and thanks again for coming on to global futures uh, podcast and we wish you all the best in the upcoming session in new delhi and uh yeah keep Thank us you. posted yeah same to you and uh, now we have lunch together right yeah i'm so hungry me too you're paying i'm paying excellent This episode of the Global Futures Podcast was presented by me, Joel Sandu, and produced by Sonia Sugarbova from the Global Public Policy Institute. Our guest today was Johannes Gabriel. For a full list of Global Governance Futures products, including scenario reports, opinion pieces, interviews, and other podcasts, visit ggfutures.net forward slash analysis.